Hey there, this is Dan, the producer for Mark and Carrie. If you like this show, we highly recommend you check out Watson's other podcast, Trending Globally. You'll hear more in-depth conversations about politics and policy from some of the world's leading experts, including, occasionally, Mark and Carrie. You can find us by subscribing to Trending Globally on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, that's Trending Globally. All right, on with the show. Thanks. Well, hello, we're back. And again, second time in person. I second know. Second time in a row. Face yeah. to face. For those of you who yes. can't see this, which is everyone, <laughs> we're sitting at a round table, peering over two laptops, talking yes. into identical mics. Yes, that's right. Without a mask. Without a mask. But speaking of masks. <laughs> yeah. What's on the top of your mind, well, Gary? Is it Omicron or Omic- Omicron or Abercrombie? Omicron? <laughs> I love Abercrombie. <laughs> yeah. We should call it the Abercrombie virus because Abercrombie, in a way, was a virus. It was. Um, I think it's Omicron. I was struck by the fact that the Times Roundup actually had a how to spell it or oh, rather how to pronounce it. I think it was the Times Roundup. I was like, isn't it simple? It's Omicron. Uh, it's here. I think it's now in four states. Um, of course, now I think everyone is so um, used to seeing yet another variant. But this variant seems to be the one that mutates and possibly is transmissible, much um, similar to Delta, but possibly even more. Um, and I was feeling so f- found by South African virologist and public health officials. And I was feeling really bad for South Africa because they actually were public about it. And, you know, Americans would have hit it. Yeah. No good deed goes unpunished. Volume seven. Yes, Yes, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And I'm feeling just bad for them. Um, But then actually one of my friends who works in South Africa was, um, you know, the band named several other South African countries like Lesotho and uh, Iswatini. And they were like, wow, we got mentioned. We were so excited. (laughs) (laughs) So excited. Finally recognized because of Omicron. Thanks, Omicron. So, you know, the inter- lots of interesting angles on this one, right? So the first one is, and the hopeful story, right, is that basically in order for a virus to survive and persist, it has to replicate more. Yeah. But it can't be more lethal at the same time because it will kill the people in which it's replicating and therefore it won't survive. So if you think about the Spanish flu, apparently, I'm sure somebody's going to write to me and tell me this is wrong, but as I understand it, there are bits of the RNA of the Spanish flu running around in the flu that you get today. Hmm, Because essentially, yes, it was very, very deadly, but then it kind of like spread more, but was less lethal. And that seems to be a pattern. In which case, the data out of South Africa so far is, yeah, loads of people get it, but it's pretty much on the mild symptom side of things. And that's great. That's great news. It's tough if you're in a country that has a very low vaccination rates because then it can get more serious but even if this thing is more replicable it doesn't necessarily mean more deadly and it doesn't necessarily mean what the guy from i think it was moderna said which is like oh this is going to have to this is going to evade things and we're going to have to get a new one well you would say that if you're on a drug company (laughs) right but you know is it necessarily the case so i don't know what do you think about this 10 trillion dollar in profits weren't enough well i was interested in a couple different things and one and i saw some some thought pieces about this where that one the west really screwed itself on like hoarding all the vaccines because like we're back and boosted and all but of course it's going to happen in the countries that where it's where there's low vaccination rates and while the west hoards all of theirs so you can throw it out at cvs because people aren't getting it but that's also happening in south africa for example you've got populations that don't trust their state 
What yeah. a shocker, right? Yeah. Um, because for them, the state has basically been the guy who runs off with all the cash for <laughs> yeah. a lot of these places, right? And uh, because of that, they've got very low vaccination rates. I mean, vaccine skepticism is not confined to us. Now, of course, you know, that's not to say that us hoarding doesn't matter. But, you know, there's, there are that generic problem everywhere as well. Yeah. I was curious about travel bans because I think most health officials, that you know, they don't really do very much. But then it was interesting to me that the Biden administration came out and said, we're trying to buy ourselves time. So which seemed like much more nuanced than we're just shutting down the world. But I mean, what's it, is travel bans just a, like some sort of weird, you know, screw your neighbor? Honestly, at this point in time, I just come to the nobody knows anything okay. thing. <laughs> so I'll give you an example. I think I mentioned this last time. Um, Scotland has a very strong mask, do do the mask thing. Yeah. And England has a very lax who to hell with the mask thing, right? The, ra the rates of infection, death and everything between the two countries almost identical yeah now it's yeah. not to say that masks don't matter right particularly suppose at the start of a pandemic when nobody has any immunity and you've got no drugs yeah sure put them on right is it making a huge difference now maybe if i'm in a plane for eight hours it's a probably a good idea but maybe in general circumstances no and once you change the game right you have a new version of the virus and we don't quite know what it does or whatever I think they just grasp it like what you did before. It's a very human thing to do. Yeah. And you know, you expect politicians to do things. So what's the first thing you can do? Well, let's just ban travel. Is it going to help? Probably not. Horse stable bolted, yes. right? Yeah. But it's being seen to do something. And it's typical of the Biden administration. It's very, it's very thoughtfully done, as you say, right? So it's we're going we're not going to ban travel. What we're going to do is we're going to require people to have a twenty four hour test before they get on a plane. So my nephew is coming from where is he now? I think he's in Sweden, right? Okay. And uh, he's getting a test in Sweden 48 hours out and he's coming on Sunday because on Monday the new one kicks in and it's 24 hours, yeah. right? Oh yeah, that's right, yeah. Right, and he's flying from Denmark, right, from uh -huh. Copenhagen. You know how much it costs to get a, uh, a 24 hour test in Copenhagen airport? Basically it's 4,000 crowns, which is about 800 bucks. So in other words, they've put on a travel ban. Yeah. They just haven't called it that. Oh, that's interesting. So right, because if right. you're, well, what are you going to do if your test costs more than your ticket? You're not going to take the trip. A 24-hour PCR test. Holy cow! Yeah. yeah. And imagine Boris Johnson and his mates that run all these clinics that do all the yeah. private tests in yeah. Britain. Yeah. They'll just be lying on top of a giant pile of money, rubbing themselves because yes. of this one. Well, that's what I was wondering. Like, well, yeah, if your relative owns, like, that happens to be the test clinic for, uh, for whatever. Um, do you think the UK or Germany, with their high numbers, are going to do? Because they're, you're right, high numbers in terms of people having it, but not, but hospitalizations are not especially right, high. Exactly, and you know that could ratchet up and the whole thing is like not about the ultimate the death rate it's about the hospitalization rate germany uh austria has led the way but germany is actually considering mandatory vaccinations right no more whinging yeah. you're all going to get it or you're going to pay the cost now this has already happened so my wife's just got back from germany and uh, she went to Leipzig uh -huh. with, the, with the family. And to get into the restaurant they were going to go into, they all had to have a QR code on their phone that showed that they were vaccinated. There's a unique digital certificate for you that's very hard to and forge. And they actually checked. And they checked, yeah. right? And they check everything. So basically what they're saying is, you can be a holdout, but you will have no public life. Yeah. Well, and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because a lot of that feeds into sort of populism in Europe was dying down. Yeah. This is like a kind of great yeah. populist, you know, dynamite crack issue. Well, Ola, well, Angela's gone. It, is that right? And but Olaf yeah. is in. Olaf is in. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't okay. inspire the name, does it? Olaf. Olaf. I mean, all I think is the snowman in <laughs> yeah. Frozen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, just, it's very hard for me to get <laughs> yeah. past that now. Um, 
Well, on to another happy topic, and that is this week at the Supreme Court was the probably one of I mean one of the top five or three cases for this uh, for this court um, is the um, healthcare uh, case having to do with Jackson, Mississippi, reproductive rights. And essentially what it does is, is the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Um, and I had I did a deep dive into this because I was trying to sort out all the details as I prepped for this. And so fetal vi- viability was set for Roe at 28 weeks. So how long the fetus can survive outside the um, outside the womb. And even this number was a little bit arbitrary, but so what Mississippi wants to do is to change from 28 weeks to 15 weeks, which would be obviously a, a big reduction. And then there are all these states that are queued up to move 15 Texas six weeks and just to narrow that window down more and more and more. Um, it was interesting listening to the argument. The Supreme Court um, Chief Justice Roberts, you can see him just he's just trying to go down the middle and talked a lot about this fetal viability. Could it be changed to 15 weeks while the other conservative justices are like, let's just get rid of the whole thing. And right. then the left is like, we have to maintain this. So it's it's just interesting seeing how Roberts is really trying to maintain that middle part. So here's my question for you. Apart from the fact that this got dumped into their laps, why are they taking this and why are they playing hardball on it? What do you think the sort of the conservative justices game on this? Is it really because Amy is a fundamentalist Catholic, yeah, right? Yeah. Or or is there a bit, a different game going on that I can't see? Well, it's I, I did think that same thing because it's not like Roe hasn't been challenged in the last, you know, f- almost 50 years or uh, in some ways. I think there's that so many states are now lining up with something with much shorter time frames. And so have, wanting to do that, wanting to have something so it's federal law, so there isn't just this patchwork, though. I mean, I think if they do change it, it'll end up being patchwork anyway. Um, and, you know, they have to have some sort of politics in mind, too. Right. I mean, sort of where the country is. I think I mean, the court, even though we like to think they're not they're insulated from all this stuff. I mean, they, they would have had to take a case like this in, um, uh, you know, in this cycle or the next. So, I mean, so there's a, I think there's a lot of politics at play, too. I mean, the court's much more savvy about this. Than I think we give them credit for. So let's explore the politics, right? Is it very simply, is it essentially Republican states want to have these very, very tight restrictions and Democratic states don't? I think, yeah, essentially. All yes. right. So that's yeah. the case then. Is there a kind of electoral game that goes like this? Everything's decided on a knife edge. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give the base something that they really care about that's going to drive the liberals crazy in my state. And I think in a mobilization campaign, doing this is going to help me maintain control in my state, right? But on the other hand, this could be the thing that saves the Democrats in 22, right? If you basically incite lots of coastal and regional rich metropolitan suburban women over this, that could be the 2% that you need to swing an election as well. So it seems a bit of a high-risk game. How how do you think it would play but, out? But that's the silver lining, I think. That's what Democrats are hoping as a silver lining out of this, is that it'll mobilize the base coming out, of, given what happened with the governor's elections and blah, blah, blah this last fall, that that'll be the saving. That That's what will save their bacon in, in uh, next fall. But it is it's super high stakes. And if you look at all the maps in terms of what would happen if Roe is overturned, I mean, the whole middle of the country, those women have very little, if no access to any sort Sort of uh, to any um, sort of reproductive health care, and mm-hmm. I mean that's I mean so you're really just talking rich women on the coast or middle or you know middle class women on the um, on the coast, and I mean that seems deeply problematic. 
And this was why, of course, you know, the hypocrisy of everybody. But, you know, the same day, this opening argument, then, of course, there's the shooting in Michigan. And you think, you know, like we care about the sanctity of life and then like all the, you know, the list of things where we don't care about the sanctity of life. Um, and I mean, that gets I th- that sort of runs you down a little bit, I think. Just to continue this one yeah. a little bit, um, I was struck by the fact that the Democrats weren't arguing the case. They were arguing the legitimacy of the institution. Yeah. Right. So don't go there because if you do, everyone will see us as a bunch of partisan hacks, right? But there is a case to be decided. And if you look at what the conservative justices are doing, they're basically staying within the terms of the case, the legal framework. Gorsuch, for example, is basically saying, why do we have a federal ruling about a medical procedure, this one, when there isn't one on any other ones, right? Now, I'm not taking a position on this, right? I'm just simply saying there's two different strategies at play here. And one is like panic the state of the institution. The other one is let's sort of break the law from within in order to, to change it and get what we want. And I was reminded bizarrely with this, the difference, somebody else wrote this down, I'm totally riffing it, and it reminded me of this, of the difference between the Aubrey trial and the Rittenhouse trial. Mm-hmm. So the Rittenhouse trial prosecution strategy was, was all about race, mm-hmm. and that seemed to fail because essentially lots of factors, the people involved were all white, yeah. uh, the fact that race was obviously a background consideration was not actually what the case was about, mm-hmm. etc., mm-hmm. right? And that failed. Meanwhile, in the Aubrey case, which was obviously about race, they didn't mention it at all. They mm-hmm. just basically played to the facts that this guy was essentially uh, kidnapped, assaulted, and shot, right? right? And that's really bad, and that worked. And I'm wondering if there's a similar risk here with the Democrats, that what they're doing is like by putting the state of the institution first, they're kind of missing the procedural battleground where this thing would actually be decided. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to fight the Republicans on their own terms. They're on a different set of terms. Yeah, that's super interesting because, I mean, I mean, the, one of the talking points coming out of Coney Barrett's uh, questioning was the safe haven laws of, well, if you, so the um, one part of the case being argued is that the burden of being a parent, and she said, well, you you can drop your the baby off at a safe haven and not ha- and not carry that burden. And Sonia Sotomayor was about the end of democracy. So it is, it, I mean, you like your sort of the nuance of this stuff, just thinking, coming at it from totally different perspectives. Um, that is interesting about the medical procedure. Yeah. Isn't right. that fascinating? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because so ones, yeah. they're arguing very micro strategies. Yeah. They may or may not be wrapped up in moral claims, but they're basically working within what the law is just now and pushing it. Mm-hmm. Whereas what the Democrats seem to be doing is completely ignoring this and talking about the legitimacy of the court. And I'm just mm-hmm. wondering how that how that works. I mean, of course, there's a simple partisan majority, etc. Yeah. But I mean, is it basically a Hail Mary pass from the liberals to essentially say, guys, we're not even going to talk about this because you do this and we're all doomed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Is that is that effective? I don't know. So it, it would be interesting because of course now the I mean, we won't know. I mean, talking about the politics until the summer and right. that'll be just a few months before the midterm election. So, I mean, you do kind of wonder in the trading back and forth of the decisions whether or not they could start to build some sort of consensus around one of the the actual legal question at at hand. But I'm sure far smarter people that they actually know the law yeah, are. Yeah, exactly. So we'll stop talking yes. about that. Now. Let's talk <laughs> about much. something else we don't really know. <laughs> yeah. What's next? Um, have you been paying attention to the Chinese tennis player? 
I think it's been hard to not pay attention to the Chinese tennis yeah, ball. I mean, and of course, the Beijing Olympics are coming up, the first day to hold both the summer and the winter. Um, I've, I, I've been watching it both. I watched it as a tennis fan, but then the WTA actually pulled out of the events that they host in China. I didn't think they hosted very many, but it ends up being a couple, you know, $100 million, which is more than any other, you know, NBA um, has uh, has done. And it's just curious how... China has responded, given that the Olympics are coming up in the, like six weeks. So, so just in case anybody has missed this one, basically what's happened is one of China's top tennis playing athletes accused the senior Politburo member right at the top of the Communist Party of uh, very nefarious sexual conduct. And uh, she disappeared. And then she appeared basically after international pressure said, where is she for a long time? And she appeared on a video in one of those kind of videos that you only ever get out of authoritarian regimes where everyone's sort of sitting there with a forced smile going, no, everything's I'm fine. Great. It's yeah. totally great. Don't worry about me. Everything's yeah. fine. And of course, everyone's <laughs> like, this can't possibly <laughs> right. be true. Don't know. Yeah. You think they'd get a better sort of film crew or something Wasn't to do this Wasn't she with her stuff? cat or something too? I mean, there was some weird prop. Oh, really? I okay, were, yeah, anyway, exactly. Anyway, I might have made that up. But you know, it is, it's an interesting one how authoritarian regimes deal with those types of legitimacy crisis. Yeah. So, you know, we tend to think about China in terms of, well, it's about growth, yeah. right? It's about keeping the growth numbers up. It's about preventing unemployment. It's about stopping the financial system imploding called because of real estate collapse in this country called Evergrande, right? But there's also this kind of phenomena of celebrity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't care about, for example, you know, particular minorities being oppressed or whatever. Well, we do, but that's sort of flashing the pan. But when you get somebody who's dead famous and they yeah. disappear, it seems to galvanize attention yes. on it, these things in a very interesting way that's really uncomfortable for these regimes. I'm not sure they have good coping strategies well, for and it. Well, the, and the, that person literally becomes the face of it too. And yeah. so then, it, yeah, you're right. The coping is just like some throwback, terrible video with a backdrop that is like from the 1950s or something. And also, I mean, a bit, what, do, what do you think it says about sort of, you know, a Me Too moment? for China. Well, that's what I thought was really interesting is that clearly there's a lot of lot of dirty laundry in the Chinese Communist Party. And will we ever get the behind the scenes on that? But um, yeah, that the, the, the China is if they ever allow for me to movement, holy cow, there'd be a whole, you yes, know, there'd be quite if, yes. if they would ever allow. And I think the, the question, <laughs> yeah. the answer is in the way that you phrased that yes. question. I think that's a might be right up there with Putin, you know, then um, his they're not Russia's non-existent. Me to movement. Um, but I did think it I mean, what bravery it took to say that too. And knowing, I mean, she knew. Oh, yeah. She, you know? I mean, once yeah. you, you send that tweet, right? <laughs> yeah. You just count down until they knock on the door. Yeah. I and, mean, it's just, yeah. yeah. And they disappear you. Exactly. Yeah. Which is exactly what happened. And then they re- had to reappear you. That's the interesting thing. Where do thing. they go? Where, where do you I think they know. send her? I really have no idea. Like to Siberia? I mean, you just like, where, where, does, she, where does she go? Yeah. Probably to a hotel somewhere. It's really crap. <laughs> With the other people who With are the like, other people who have disappeared. Yeah, There's an entire yeah. chain of hotels. It's sort of like, so basically it's a B-grade, uh, all-you-can-eat self-service restaurant yeah. with armed guards. <laughs> right, so in other right. words, it's Jamaica, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's Jamaica with the sun. Uh, sorry um, about Jamaica. Sorry about that, Jamaica, but you know where I'm. Um, All right. What else happened this week? Why do why is the economy? So jobs numbers just came out. Mm-hmm. 210,000 jobs. As opposed to the 550 that people estimated. Yes, exactly. By the way, these estimates are almost always wrong, but yeah. that's a different story. Why, why 
why do we feel so bad about the economy, but it seems to be okay? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. So the Financial Times is a great newsletter called Unhedged by this guy <laughs> called uh, Robert Armstrong and his co-writer Ethan Wu. And they had a piece on this this morning, which was really, really great. I encourage people to read it if they can get a hold of it. But, um, you know, their basic thing is if you look at the actual indicators, you know, you're back on trend growth, you're back on trend unemployment, you know, but why is everybody miserable? And, you know, you can get into this thing about the confidence index versus the sentiment factors yeah. and forward-looking versus backward-looking. I actually think this, this is a much simpler explanation, which is the following. 70% of the people who voted for the other guy last time think the election was stolen. Okay. Do you think in surveys they're going to give you any credit for the economy? <laughs> yeah, right. 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 Yeah. So, so the economy is doing fine. No, it's not. Biden's in charge. Yeah. I mean, we've seen this before, right? Just, yeah. It's partisan sorting, right? Yeah. You simply discount any information that doesn't go with your partisan priors, right? So uh, to that, to me, would take care of a great deal of it, um, particularly because you don't really see the same things in other countries. Yeah. Right? So if you look internationally, yeah, I mean, surely you've got the same supply-side problems, you've got the same uh, supply-side shocks, you've got uh, the supply chain problems, you've got the inflation factors, you've got all that sort yeah. of stuff, right? But you don't have this sort of massive disconnect that shows up between how the economy is performing and sentiment. And even in countries like Britain, where it's, the economy is not doing that well, yeah. you don't have as much angst about the economy as you do in the United States, where it's actually doing better. Yeah, I, and I guess it's just this thought of like, of I just for I know it doesn't make any sense, but I thought that things would be better. I would have to wear a mask inside, and I could go to Jamaica without getting ten tests at eight hundred million dollars, right? And all this other, and and it hasn't. So I'm like, well, something. This is clearly this is the problem then, right? But here's the thing. I mean, you know, we I at least live in Rhode Island. You yeah. live somewhere else most of the time, yes, right? Yes, different time and, dimension. But even, even, but even where you live, right? I mean, do you really notice it? Do you notice the oppression? Do you feel like, you know, your freedom's being trampled on because every now and again I have to pop on a mask, right? No, because, again, partisan sorting. I don't, yeah. feel, I don't think things were stolen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And because of that, I'm inclined to believe the numbers that come out of the Department of Labor, yeah. right? But maybe other people filter these things out. Well, I guess I think it's bad because I read the front page of the New York Times and it tells me that it's bad. And I have to think, well, wait, is it really that bad? I mean, oh, my, I know. You know. It's just so, like, can they just stop? I mean, like, I know the free, the, basically the coronavirus update that you get from the New York Times yeah. in your email every morning at like 10 minutes to seven, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I happen to be like doom scrolling in bed when I wake up like <laughs> yeah. everybody else. right? And this thing is just horrible. It's just like, it's always bad. Yes, Maybe yes. there's an upside, but yeah. it's always it's bad. Like, and yeah. it just means bad. And it's yeah. just like, for God sake i mean you know hardly anybody's dying of it can we just yeah, stop this I know, I know do what do you think about the great resignation that everyone's leaving their jobs and have found like you know they want more work-life balance i don't know maybe you're thinking about leaving your oh, job i mean i think about it every day but right? i'm assuming pre-covid you were thinking yeah, I was about thinking it i mean thinking about it for a long time actually yeah, but what, what's your take on that i think that it's such i a, think it's mainly bullshit oh you do so yeah. it's just not well here's here's some facts on it right Actual fact. Yeah. Uh, it <laughs> involves 3% of the labor market, which means 97% yeah. <laughs> are not involved in the great resignation. So could you imagine what would be the amazingly big resignation? 5%? <laughs> yeah. What would be the resignation <laughs> beyond limits? The you omega. Know, the but... <laughs> omega resignation, 7%. So anyway, it's 3%, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of this has to do with uh, women leaving the labor market 
Uh, so the labor force participation rate is down. The latest mm-hmm. figures has it going up a little bit. But a large part of that is something that Biden's second bill, the one that we'll never ever see daylight, <laughs> yeah. wants to address, which is childcare, yeah. right? So it, a lot of this is the pandemic and prior to the pandemic, stock market growth meant the upper middle class women who work can basically look at that 401k and go, to hell with this, I'm mm-hmm. out, right? And that's part of it, right? Then you look at middle class and working class women, and they've always had this choice, which is, do I work to pay for childcare? Yeah. And back in the day when it was fun and we had office parties and we could hang out and my friends were there, now it's miserable mm-hmm. and I have to wear a mask all the time and everyone's shit to me. Forget about it, I'm not doing it. Yeah. There's a great way of thinking about this with truck drivers. There was a, a nice piece, I can't remember where I read it, but it was talking about Britain. And in the old days, when things were normal, right? This is a really hard job, right? Uh-huh. It's bad for your back. It's bad for your system. You don't get any exercise. You eat crap food. But they would make things bearable for you, like in the supermarket when you were dropping off and they were unloading the truck. They'd have a room for the truck drivers and they'd have some tea and sandwiches. You could even catch a little bit of sleep, this sort of stuff. Now with COVID, all this is banned, huh. right? So basically, a bad job became a horrible yeah, job. Yeah. So even if you're going to say, well, but we're paying you $3 an hour more, it's like, mm-hmm. well, off peak, I'm getting paid a third less than I was in the 90s. Right. You're giving me three bucks more and the job sucks even more, right? right? So, you know, you put all those factors together. Yeah, you get 3%. The notion is a great resignation. 97% aren't doing this. This is yeah. silly. Yeah. Well, and to your point just about like higher wages, that the service workers getting paid like gobs of money and you're like, no, it's still not. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. horrible. I mean, you know, yeah. you don't know. I mean, the worst one, think about, you know, the people, the poor people that work in airplanes. I know. Right. right? Who are on mass all day with forced blast and air conditioning and get punched in the face yeah. by idiots, yeah. right? I mean, have they doubled their wages? Yeah. Have they tripled their yeah. wages? No, absolutely not. Because now they're not, they're also like healthcare workers and therapists and like Right, exactly. And this, this yeah. huge burnout amongst those communities because yeah. essentially they are your frontline workers, yeah. right? Yeah. And the thing about, we know this with soldiers, right? Being on the front line is exhausting. You need to rotate them off and put other people in their place. Yeah. And we're just not doing that. So guess what? Some of them are quitting. Yeah, yeah. On, on um, Build Back Better, my theory is it's not nothing's going to happen before the holiday. Will Congress will leave for winter break, and then just before the State of the Union, which is only six weeks away for those of you who are counting, it'll something we'll get movement on it at that point. I actually think that what happens is that uh, our two senators in Arizona and West Virginia yeah. have already they've made lots of noises. You know, they've yeah. made promises, whatever. I think those promises are are worth about as much as I don't know the Versailles Treaty. Okay, right. I I just don't think. <laughs> they're going to go for it and i think that it'll never see daylight okay anyway have you watched the new dune movie i have well wait i did you watch the old dune movie from the 80s the Sting yes did and i watch that just before it just to have a comparison in my head oh yeah oh you david, did and it's, it's david lynch really yeah i mean people i forgot this it's david lynch so it's utterly mad <laughs> I mean, my we are talking about this at Thanksgiving and what how crazy and weird it was. Oh yeah, I, I mean, haven't the whole watched it. I need to watch it. It's got the Jean Luc Picard, Patrick Stewart with hair. Yeah, that was the bit that freaked the hell out of me. I was like, oh my god, that's Captain Picard with hair. What's going on with that? 
Oh, that's it. So did you, I, I thought the new one was quite entertaining, actually. The new one was good, but I mean, it's that classic thing of, you know, what they've done. I mean, what they what they did with the, the original is like they tried to tell the arc of the book, right? Yeah. And what they did with this one is kind of cut it in half. Yes. So they did yeah. a Hobbit with it, right? Yeah. Now, at the end of the day, the Hobbit's a cute little story for kids, yeah. right? Sorry if you think it's more than that. It's not, <laughs> right? And then when Jackson got a hold of it and turned it into three movies, you're like, oh, come on, really? Yeah. And that, that, I, I just couldn't do that. And it's kind of like that with Dune. It's sort of, apart from the entire sort of House of Trades getting massacred, sorry, spoiler alert, apart from the House of Trades getting massacred, right? Nothing much happens. No, and you're just like, oh, but is anything going to get resolved? And no, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. so at the end of the day, did I like sting and leather being mental <laughs> and cackling under the direction of David Lynch more? <laughs> I would strongly encourage everyone to go back and have a look at it because it, you know what? Another film that's epically bonkers that nobody watches? What's that? You've got to go back and watch Flash. Really? Flash Gordon, 1980. <laughs> it is utterly insane. Who's Flash? Flash Gordon? You don't remember No, Flash no, Gordon? but I mean, who plays? Who plays? Oh, it's okay. somebody you've never heard okay, of. Never he had heard no of career since. afterwards, okay. right? I mean, <laughs> the only person I recognized was the Welsh actor Brian Blessed, who plays <laughs> Prince, ba Prince Baron, right? And it, it's just mad. I mean, it's completely mad. Okay, I'm going to put that. But actually, this is a good transition because we are going to do an end of the year. It's on our calendars, so That's we can't right. avoid it. That's it. And we can do our end of the year recommendations. We can do our end, end of year yeah. recommendations, which, of course, we can start now with the ultimate Christmas movie, which always is. Uh, love actually no nope. <laughs> um then i don't know die hard oh yes yes clear we can tell that we think very differently about what a holiday movie Yippee is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it there we'll leave it there till christmas see you soon jingle bells Thanks, everybody